Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Hi, my name is Lee Skirball. I'm a writer originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, now living in Alameda, California. Uh, my work regularly appears in Kitchen Sink Magazine, and I cover diverse topics such as satanic jukeboxes, death, tattoos, and of course, rock and roll. This piece, Herman Melville, Metafictional Laugh Riot, is an essay slated for an upcoming issue of Kitchen Sink. It celebrates the first three words of Moby Dick and attempts to cast Mr. Melville, Melville in a more punk rock light than he is usually thought of. Herman Melville, Metafictional Laugh Riot. Even if you haven't read Moby Dick, as I imagine you have not, and for a hundred solid reasons which you would never have to explain to me of all people or to anybody goddamn their highbrow condescending snooping into your personal life, you are probably familiar with, with its opening three words, which have perhaps filtered down through the effluvia of overheard pop culture references and misassigned high school assignments. Call me Ishmael. Call me Ishmael should now be as firmly ensconced in the pop culture lexicon as these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. And hearing or seeing these three words crop up, say, on Jeopardy or Seinfeld or even during your own studious examination of the text of Moby Dick, you may have, in a stray moment of sideways thinking, wondered why it's call me Ishmael rather than my name is Ishmael. At that point, you probably moved on to other thoughts, and hopefully with your life, rather than been stopped cold as I was, in an apparent narrative rigor mortis, and a near compulsive desire to understand the choice of one word, and a really freaking long book that you've heard, or have been taught is ostensibly about hunting a whale, yet is also actually the greatest book of American fiction, and would therefore be chock full of hidden meanings, dense with unknowable allusions, and because of all this be unreadable and wholly unenjoyable by any stretch of the imagination. Yet from page one, word one, turns out to be exactly as great and enjoyable as anything you've ever read. Could it be that the most boring, dusty classroom snoozer is actually funny, playful, weird, and very, very modern? Yet Moby Dick has been 10,000 times ruined by its inclusion on high school reading lists, along with pals Shakespeare, Chaucer, and Faulkner, probably to the point of engendering Pavlovian narcoleptic responses when the words Moby Dick or Call Me Ishmael are written or uttered, as you're probably having right now, glazing over, spacing out, or falling completely asleep. Don't worry, I'm not going to be like explaining Moby Dick here or anything. Not that I could if I wanted to. What's to explain anyway? Words on a page, in English. You can read them as well as I. Really, this is more a mission of mercy, a rescue mission, an attempt to save what is subversive and ultimately great about literature from those who think we need fact policed for our novels and creative expressions, and that what really happened is suddenly the litmus test by which we judge art. We come to Moby Dick with our suspicions, and for good reasons. As Melville is usually taught, 
as most literature is taught in schools, as a system of secret symbols, arcane knowledge, and codes that you, puny student, can't possibly unlock, and that I, exalted teacher, will pass on to you as you sit on a hard wooden chair in a stifling, airless room while the cries of your peers rollicking outside nag at your ears. Start taking notes. After which the payoff will be dubious. Ahab is monomaniacal. The whale is metaphorical. The book is metaphysical. Yawn. The biggest lesson you have probably learned is to stay the hell away from stuff like Moby Dick. I know this from having been on both ends of the lectern, as a student being taught Melville, and as a teacher back when X University somewhere was fool enough to let me stand in front of their well-paying charges for an hour or two. Yet I had read Melville way after high school, and after a lot of the brainwashing had already worn off, and I saw something God help me punk rock in his writing. A whole, I'm going to do it my way vibe. It was thrilling, really. Melville seemed like he was trying to screw with me. Yeah, he was going to tell me a story, but it was going to be on his terms, which meant if he suddenly wanted to relate everything possible about his freaking toenails, then he was going to do it. And not only are you going to read it, but you're going to like it as well. Melville wanted to mess me up for some reason, and he was going to great near Herculean effort to do so, and I wanted to know why. So I read and read and read. I would have loved to share this with my students, but the mere mention of reading Melville elicited grand choruses of groans, dramatic forehead smacking, and championship-level pouts. I knew from whence my bread was buttered, so there would be no assigning of Moby Dick that semester. I also knew that a great way to engage the disaffected college freshmen is with identification. That's why Catcher in the Rye is so successfully taught in high school where other novels fail. Teenagers identify with Holden Caulfield, his attitude, his snarl. He's an outsider, and the outsider always plays well with the kids. Melville also offers us outsiders, aggressively weird outsiders, like the title character of his riotous short story, Bartleby the Scrivener. Bartleby, another call-me sort of name, is an outsider in the extreme, one whose oddness causes disaster all around him. The mysterious Bartleby appears out of nowhere, refuses politely to do any work for his employer, and ends up changing the very fabric of the man who tried to understand him. In one way, Bartleby throws up a giant screw you to the establishment, and in doing so drives a stake through the corporate world. Now you kids can identify with that, right? Plus, it's just damn funny. All Bartleby ever says in the entire story is, I'd prefer not to. Try that one at home or at your job. Whenever anyone asks you to do anything, just say, I'd prefer not to. It's pacifist brilliance. Repeat your preference until your parent or your boss breaks from reality. Bartleby opens with another dubious narrator, one who tells us right off the bat that he is rather elderly man. Why is he apologizing before even getting started? It turns out he's a typical boss, a blowhard, rather vain. Yet ironically vain as he might be, he never reveals his own name. He is, as promised by the rather elderly, awfully deluded. In fact, that first sentence may be the only true thing the guy tells us, and is perhaps an invitation to write the whole thing off as the wanderings of an adult senior. Pretty much the classic unreliable narrator, 
which when it's done artfully is fun because it's up to the reader to vet out the truth of the story. We don't get his name because what ends up happening to him in the story is so embarrassing, surreal, and ultimately tragic that an early apology is essential. Yet does Mr. Rather Elderly even know what hit him? So how does a narrator tell a story when he's deluded? The unreliable narrator forces us to think about who is telling us the story and is therefore a self-conscious device and predates the metafictional novel or a novel that writes its own writing into the story. A short-lived movement in fiction about 30-plus years ago that still engenders arguments about its success to this day. Writers like Calvino, Barthelemy, Coover, and Barth, you had to have a name beginning with either a B or a C to be a metafictionist, played with a highly wrought and complex dynamic that's created when a story is written and read. Ideas of author, reader, narrator, text are explored at the same time the story itself is being told. There are many techniques that bring a reader out of the story and force consideration of this telling. Sudden interruptions from the author about its writing, Lee Skirball said. Footnotes, endnotes, characters with the same name as the author showing up, influencing events, all call narration into question. These, like many other potentially bad ideas, were born from the work of famous literary critics who effectively destroyed the idea of authorship in fiction for a good portion of the post-war era. And it is a technique that was still considered freaky as late as the year 2000. Yet our boy Herman accomplished it all with one word about 150 years earlier. Call me Ishmael. Melville was probably not out to destroy fiction 150 years ago. It never seemed to fret too much about his narrators. Why should he fret? He knew narrators are rarely innocent, always unreliable, and at best agents of destruction. Reportage must leave its mark on events. The Heisenberg principle should always be kept in mind. The act of viewing an event changes an event. Ishmael is a giant among destroyers. He comes off as an innocent observer in Moby Dick, but he's anything but. He seems to want to, qu want to quickly establish his unreliability as a dare. Call me Ishmael. He taunts us again in sentence number two. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely. See, we've just been asked a tacit question some years ago, and we want to know how many, but are immediately reprimanded for asking. Never mind how long precisely. Look, you want to get bogged down with the facts? You want to start badgering me about specifics, names, and dates? Then we're going to have a bit of a problem here, my friend. That kind of questioning will get you exactly nowhere, and I mean quickly. So who is this guy? Well, my name may or may not be Ishmael. In any case, I'm only having you call me that because I don't want you to know my real name. I'm on the lamb, maybe. Maybe I owe money around. Ishmael is a far better name for these purposes, is what I'm telling you. It recalls the Bible, and in doing so, it recalls an epic tale, a primal tale of creation, of good and evil. Yet this is also about me, or a not-me, who tells an epic story and walks away clean. That I have called attention to all this by writing, Call, and not, My name is, is just me messing with you, as I will continue to mess with you for hundreds and hundreds of pages. Maybe there's a good reason narrators, not to mention authors, don't play nice with the truth. 
Why, call me Ishmael? Well, what happens at the end of Moby Dick? Not much. Just everyone dies a horrible death except the teller, the narrator, call me Ishmael. The act of reporting must always change things. Names are usually omitted or changed to protect the innocent or to hide the guilty. Just who is guilty or innocent by the end of Bartleby or Moby Dick or any of the current list of shocking memoirs and fictions? The metafictionists among us know that it is you, gentle reader, guilty, complicit for even accepting the dare. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit www.kqed.org slash writer's block. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.